Morning, everybody. From glory to glory, you make everything glorious. Isn't that a great line? I think it's a great line, and it makes me very thankful for artists who um, just put great spiritual truths and the compelling things that we can all engage in. My name's Eric, and I'm actually the worship pastor here, but I get the privilege of spending some time with you this morning talking about Ephesians 5. Um, So, because I'm the music guy and not the teaching guy, there are no guarantees to this message. But since you didn't pay anything... I'm not worried. Um, We get the great privilege as pastors, as leaders here, of spending time with a great many of you guys. And it's a privilege to get involved in your lives and hear the stories of what God's doing. But seasonally, we hear, you know, not so great things. And we walk with you guys through challenging times and through dark times in your life. And I wanted to start off this morning by giving you guys a little bit of insight into how sometimes we choose what to talk about on Sunday morning, specifically how we chose to to talk about Ephesians. Um, A few months back in my interactions with you guys, I started to hear just stories from a variety of different people about tough and challenging things that they were encountering in their lives. And it specifically revolved around like what was happening in people's relational lives, what was happening with their friends, with their acquaintances. And so I went to Mark and I kind of said, you know, Mark, this is kind of what I'm hearing. I'm wondering if, if the church can talk about this. And a few months later, Mark came back to me and said, you know, or he came to the staff and said, you know, I think we should talk about Ephesians because Paul talks a lot about unity and what the church is doing. So that's how we got here this morning. And as we've been preparing to talk about this and as we've begun to talk about it, really two words have repeatedly come up in my mind and in my heart. The two words are unity and shining. Now unity, Paul talks a lot about in not just in the letter to the Ephesians, but in a lot of his letters. The church needs to be unified over and over. You understand that when Paul's writing these things, this movement called the Jesus movement or called the church is just getting underway with variety of people involved in it. And Paul understood that we have to come together and stay together. And the other word that he, he keeps throwing out is this concept of shining. And Paul talks about that a lot, that we're supposed to shine with the light of God. And certain things are, are designed to shine just by their very nature. And I'm here to tell you the first thing is that the church is one of these things. It's designed to shine and not shine with how cool we are or how good our music is or our teaching or our coffee. But it's designed to shine with the reflection of God's character through his people. But there's, um, there's things that, that, that sort of interfere with that shining. And Mark's alluded to them over the past couple weeks you know, things about uh, church doctrine, things about how you baptize people, things about how you interpret certain passages of Scripture, all the way down to paint that's on the walls, music that's played, carpet that's chosen. The church divides over the craziest things. And what do you think happens when you introduce something When you introduce division and fracture into something 
that is supposed to shine. Something like this. So instead of one picture of God, you get a whole bunch of different reflections shining all over the place, glittering but not unified at all. And I think we do a pretty good job with the big things. I think we have a pretty warm, hospitable atmosphere here. I think we work really hard to make sure people are comfortable. But what I want to spend time talking about this morning is some of the subtle ways that we struggle with division, even here at E3. So if, if you guys would pray with me, uh, we'll just get started. God, you've called your church to be unified. You've called it to be unified across economic lines, across race, across friendships, everything, God. You've called us to come together no matter what the barrier. And almost from the time you've called us to come together, Lord, we've been trying to, at the same time, get apart. So, God, I pray that you would teach us this morning and reveal in our personal lives, every person in this room, maybe a way that we are present, preventing ourselves from, from coming together around you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read the uh, first part of Ephesians 5, and if you want to follow along on the screens or, or open your Bibles or in the fridge folds, it's all around you. You will have no excuse. There will be a test. I'm kidding. There won't be a test. Paul writes, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. And this is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A commentator wrote that pound for pound, Ephesians may well be the most influential document ever written. Within the history of Christianity, only the Psalms, the Gospel of John, and Romans 
have been so instrumental in shaping the life and thought of Christians. But all three of these works are much longer than the few pages of this letter. If read receptively, it is a bombshell. And I believe every word of that. This book is so dense and rich and uh, just brimming over with truth that we could spend weeks, weeks, weeks just in, in Ephesians 5. Weeks in any chapter, really. And in fact, um, I'm going to get maybe through one verse of this chapter. I'm, I'm telling you right now. Uh, one verse, and that's about all I can handle, maybe that you can handle too. Before we jump in, I want to back up and give you a little bit of an overview. See, in the letter of Ephesians, Paul spends the first three chapters telling the church, this is who you are. He loses a lot of contrast. You once were full of darkness, now you're in the light. You were far away from God, now you're near. You were dead, now you're alive. So the first three chapters, just like, hey, here's who you are, people of God. Here's who you are, identity. And then in chapter 4, he makes this turn and he said, oh, by the way, since you are the people of God, chapter 4 begins this thing of, and this is what you do. This is what the people of God do. Paul, or Mark introduced that last week uh, about some of the things we're supposed to do as the people of God. And chapter 5 continues this. So verse 1 of chapter 5. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are who? His dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. I get through the first two words of that verse, and I'm, I'm done. Imitate God. I mean, I instantly, when I think of that, imitate God, and I go, oh, man, I'm, I'm already out. I'm I'm done. <laughs> I have a lot of people in my life that I would confess to imitating, and let me tell you, they're not always God. And maybe I'm the only one, but I, I don't think so. You know, I watch TV, the people that we see on TV, who do we imitate? Who do we pattern our lives after? And if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times it is not the creator of the universe. That's just me. But the thing is about this statement that I, I uh, am encouraged by is that these are not necessarily random new thoughts or even things that, to make us feel bad about ourselves. First off, like to, the whole concept of imitating God, one of the reasons it's there is I think Paul's trying to remind God's people who our standard of behavior comes from, okay? Uh, Pastor Dan hit on this a few weeks back. You know, it's really easy as people, as humans, to kind of make up our own standard of conduct, to hold ourselves to our own ethical, you know, well, you know, this kind of feels right, so this is what I'm going to do, and I'm just going to invent this. Paul says in those two words, he just reminds us, hey, guess what? Guess where your standard of behavior comes from? God, not us. So those two words just remind me, you know what? That's who I'm supposed to imitate. Not anybody, not a politician, not a philanthropist, not a, a good preacher even. Watch out. But God. So, furthermore, if you read the Bible, there's this expectation of God's people taking on more and more of his character as we grow, as we mature. It's not a new concept in the Bible to imitate God. It's kind of expected, and we're going to take a look at that in just a few minutes. And lastly, just to ask a question, I mean, don't we all imitate somebody? I mean, I do. I, I'm a father, and... Uh, 
I remember the distinct time, this was about three or four years ago, I was riding around with my kids and in the car, and you know a lot of uh, teachable moments for parents happen when, two, when kids are in cars. And, um, and my kids were angry at each other because one was looking out the other's window. <laughs> and so I turned around, and in the moment of extreme, intelligent parental sayings, I turned around and said, neither of you look out the other's window for the rest of the car ride. <laughs> and I realized in that moment, oh my gosh, I have become my parents. <laughs> and as a parent, I'm constantly struggling against this whole idea of like, I'm just repeating things that my parents said to me. It's, it's almost inevitable. They just come out. I never set out to imitate my, my parents in, in this way, but I constantly go, oh my gosh, I've just, I'm my mother, I'm my father. And it goes not just for our parents, but again, what we see on TV, what we hear on the radio. We just naturally imitate things. That's what humans do. So it's not, uh, God just it's not God just saying this to make us feel bad, but God just reminding us, hey, this is who you imitate in all aspects. So, Paul uh, goes a little bit further in this chapter, and he says, oh, by the way, so as you imitate God, here are some things not to do for sure. No sexual immorality, no greed, and no dirty jokes. Now, if you've been living a life of faith for any length of time, I hope that these are obvious. I hope this is not new information to anybody. Oh, sexual immorality, darn. Um, these are kind of big ones for the church, am I right? But Pastor Dan asked a couple weeks ago, he said, are we willing to open up, if we're going to follow Jesus, are we willing to open up all of our lives to him? Or are we going to keep some rooms separate from God and go like, I'll give you this part of my life, but this room right here is for me. Beyond sexual immorality, beyond greed, beyond dirty jokes. In fact, what I want to ask E3 this morning is a very specific question. And that is, are we willing to open up our relational world to Jesus, and to allow him to affect our words and the way we treat each other every day. That's the question before us. Part of this might get difficult. In fact, selfishly, I hope part of it is difficult this morning. Part of it may involve us taking long, difficult looks at ourselves and some of the things we do and making choices about what God calls us to as a people. But if we are to, to imitate God and imitate Jesus, we have to acknowledge, first of all, that God is really concerned with how we handle our relational world, what I call sometimes the horizontal aspects of a relationship. So um, I'm just going to summarize the Bible in about three minutes. You ready? You ready? Bible in three minutes. Here we go. We're going to start first with the law, the law, Leviticus, the book of Leviticus. Great reading. Um, but if you read Leviticus, most of that whole book is so concerned with God telling his people, hey, this is the way you offer a sacrifice. This is how you're supposed to bring a dove. This is, if you do this wrong, this is what you're supposed to do. The standards of purifications and sacrifice. But in the middle of that book, he puts this chapter 19. If, so if you want to write it down, chapter 19, check it out, where God throws this chapter about um, the horizontal aspects of our lives. 
where all of a sudden God's saying, oh, by the way, this is how you do business with each other. By the way, this is how you treat people who maybe don't have enough uh, food to eat. All these kind of relational things all of a sudden in the middle of nowhere. A historian wrote that the most striking point about Jewish law is that it brings the entirety of life, including civil and domestic practices, under the authority of God. Judaism elevated all of life to the same level as worship of God. It attributed to God the view that honesty and charity were as important as purifications. What he's saying there is that God says, when you do business right, it's not just because it's a good idea. God says it's because I'm telling you that's the way to live. When you treat each other nicely, it's not because God says, hey, it's a good idea. Scratch your back, I'll scratch mine. God says, no, this is what I call worship as well as what you do inside this building. So fast forward to the prophets, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, Isaiah 58. God says to the prophet, the kind of fasting I want calls you to free those who are wrongly imprisoned and to stop oppressing those who work for you. I want you to share your food with the hungry and to welcome poor wanderers into your homes. Give, them clothes, give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Stop making false accusations and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Well, what did Jesus say? Maybe, you know, maybe Jesus turned this around. Well, in one of the very first things that Jesus said when he started teaching, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, if you're standing before the altar in the temple offering a sacrifice to God, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice beside the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. The bottom line is that God is intensely concerned with the things we do outside this building and outside of Sunday and also with the way we treat each other. In fact, we can never achieve unity and we can never shine the way we're supposed to shine if we can't learn to deal with each other in God-honoring ways. That's just, that's just the way it is. And this revolves around two things that I really want to talk about this morning. And that is what we say to each other and what we say about each other. So first, what we say to each other. The standard that Paul and Jesus and God the Father calls us to goes far beyond, like, just not insulting us. It goes far beyond saying, hey, how you doing on Sunday morning? Way beyond that. In fact, in chapter 4, uh, Paul has written this. He says, we should put away all falsehood and tell your neighbor the truth because we belong to each other. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be a what? Encouragement to those who hear them. And I just want to pause, and sometimes it's just as simple as this. How are, we, how are you, how are we doing with this this morning? If you, if you had to pause and just kind of look at yourself, the way you use your words, how are you doing with that? And this is the rub. It goes way beyond your circle of friends. Because I think most of us, if we looked at our friends, we'd go, I'm doing pretty good with this. All right. For once, you know, for me, once I'm getting it right. But the thing is that we're not a part of a group of friends. We are part of a body, and we are part of a family. And so when Paul lays out a standard, when Jesus lays out a standard, it goes way beyond who you call your friends. It, go, it goes to the whole body of Christ. 
every single person? How do you do with your words um, with people who are way beyond your first circle of friends? And then it gets a little more touchy. What we say about each other. And I got to talk just very uh, bluntly for a couple minutes. So forgive me if, if, if any of this rubs you the wrong way. But I just have to say that according to scripture, I believe if you cannot say something to a person's face, then eight, nine times out of ten, you should choose to be silent. And I think that's what Paul would say. You just can't do it. If you find yourself in a situation where you're with a couple friends and somebody starts talking about a third person, I would say Paul says specifically, you got to keep your mouth shut. And I'm not standing up here saying that I always get this right. I know it's hard. Man, I've been in those situations probably multiple times this week. But just because I don't get it right doesn't mean it's not true. Right? There's this phrase that I stumbled across a few years ago, and, and I write it down repeatedly in my journal. I say it to myself repeatedly just to keep this value hot in my life, and that is to defend those who aren't present. And what that means is that if, if you are with a group of people and somebody says something, you know, it's one thing to just go, you know what, I'm not going to contribute to this conversation. I'm just going to remain silent. But then there's another step beyond that where you choose to defend that person who can't be with you, who can't be part of that communication and go, you know what, maybe he was having a bad day. Maybe he had a bad night's sleep. Maybe he was sick. And um, I just want to tell you, even though it's really difficult to do, you will see fruit come out of this in your life when you choose to start taking somebody's part just because they're not there. And I know it takes courage. It's not easy at all. And again, this goes beyond just your friends. It's such a hard deal to look at each other and go like, man, this is the family of God and I wish I could just have a church with my friends, but believe me, if you had a church with just your friends, A, it would probably be a really boring place. And uh, the second thing is that it, it just wouldn't really honor God too much. God's body is supposed to be different and different people mixing it up. You're not going to get rid of this until heaven. And I think Paul had a little bit of an easier time of this, actually, I would say, than what we do. Because Paul didn't live in an era of this thing called the internet. So I'm going to speak to you. For, for just a second, of those of us who may be a little bit more tech savvy, Paul didn't live in an era of MySpace, Facebook, Twitter, instant messaging, email, texting. So again, to be really blunt, posting something on MySpace or Facebook is the same thing as talking about somebody behind their back. So if you've done it, that's what it is. Um, I know it's uncomfortable, but that's just the truth of the matter. So what are some first steps? How can we take some steps to get this a little bit right? I'm going to talk for just a second to those of you who maybe, who maybe, if you were honest, and say, I'm a little bit off base with this. I have made some bad choices with my words. I'm not imitating God in this way very well. So what I would say to you is first, you just got to stop. The first thing. And the great thing about being in a family is that you don't have to do things alone. So if you, if you want to stop using your words in, a, in, a, in a, a sideways type of way, just ask a friend. Say, you know what? 
I really want to take some steps with this in my life. Can you just help me watch the way I talk to people and the way I talk about people and take a trusted friend and give them permission to call you on stuff in your life and just go like, bro, you, you've, got, you've got the right. You've got the right to say, hey, I thought you were working on that. You need to get a little bit, uh, you need to stop saying that. The other thing you might need to do, though, is seek forgiveness. You might need to go to the person that maybe you've said things to or said things about and go, you know what, I have to tell you something. I've done things I shouldn't have done, and I need to ask your forgiveness because it's not right. Now, I want to go back to what Jesus said in Matthew 5 because this is kind of radical and kind of crazy. Again, he said, if you're standing before the altar in the temple offering a sacrifice to God, and you suddenly remember, watch this, you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. Leave your sacrifice beside the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice. Now, Jesus' language there is very specific. Notice, he said, if you remember that somebody has something against you, not that you have something against somebody. It's not that you're the victim, Jesus is saying. It's that you realize that somebody else is the victim. You get the twist? Jesus is saying, like, if you're angry, sure, but if you, get to the, if you get to the temple and all of a sudden you realize your best friend Joe is mad because you didn't give something back to him, if he's mad at you, you have to stop. And what's more is that Jesus is speaking in the culture that when the sacrifices were offered, where were they offered? In Jerusalem. And he's preaching like 80, 90 miles away. So Jesus is also saying, if you have walked the 80 miles to Jerusalem to offer your sacrifice, and you are just about to put it on the altar, and then you realize that your cousin Bob is mad at you, you got to take up, put your sacrifice down, walk the 80 miles back to Galilee, and make it right. And that, is that radical to anybody? But that's what we're called to. And again, just because it's radical doesn't mean that it's not true or that's not what we're called to. So um, that, that's what we're up against. That's what we're, the life that we're trying to unpack and live out. Now for another group of people, if, if you're on the other side of the coin and maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm feeling like a victim here. I'm feeling wronged somebody has done something to me said something to me about me then you have a role to play in this as well and that is you need on your part to offer forgiveness when it's sought and uh, I want to be really clear here this is not to be done lightly maybe not even to done quick done quickly but it should be done completely when it is done and in fact if you realize that you need to offer forgiveness to somebody, the, one of the first things I would say to you is to not necessarily do it alone. Again, find a friend and say, you know what, I'm struggling through forgiving somebody. Can you pray with me? Can you help me talk through this? If you have a counselor, um, bring this up. If it's a really big thing, you might need to seek out a counselor and just say, I need help walking through this thing called forgiveness. Seek out a member of the pastoral staff, one of the leaders here. 
and just say, I, I need help. Um, there's, a, there's a process in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 18, that outlines how God's people are supposed to go through reconciliation. Read the Bible. We don't need to do these things blindly. You know, a lot of times we just feel like, oh, I, just, I guess I got to struggle through this as best I can. No, the body's here for itself. The Bible's here for you to learn from. There's a guy named Lou Smeads, and if anybody could be an expert in forgiveness, he is. He's written books about it, and he's just a wonderful, was a wonderful man. He passed recently, and he wrote this. God is the original master forgiver. Each time we grope our reluctant way through the minor miracle of forgiving, we are imitating, there's that word, imitating his style. And what I want to do in the couple minutes that we have left is uh, hopefully just give God some, some room to work. So um, as the band comes up, we're just going to take a couple minutes. And if you are in, in a place where you're like, you know what, I, I'm in one of those groups. I need to give some forgiveness. I need to seek some forgiveness. I'm going to challenge you to do a few different, a few things. And this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. If God has laid something on your heart, I would challenge you um, to write down the name of a person that you might have to have a conversation with. There's pens all over the place. There's paper. Just write the name down. And if you write a name down, I would challenge you to do something else. And that is to write a date down or a day of the week to say like, I'm going to go talk to this person on this day. And if you do those two things, I challenge you, maybe take one more kind of radical step. Maybe you've come here with a friend or a family member. I would challenge you to turn to that person and go, I need you to hold me accountable on this. I'm going to talk to this person on this date. I need to have a conversation. You don't need to know what it's about. You just need to ask me if I've had it. And so we're just going to take some time, and I would ask you to prayerfully consider if God's laid something on your heart, just sit in this space and allow his spirit to work. Would you pray with me? God doing life together has never uh, been designed to be easy. It's, it's messy and it's difficult, but it's what you called us to. So God, I pray, that, uh, I pray that your spirit would work on our hearts and minds and bring to our minds anybody that we might be kind of out of whack with relationally. And I pray that we would take the steps to honor you, to imitate you this morning in our relational world. In Jesus' name, amen. To say it again, we're it. We are it in this room. It's not enough for the pastoral staff or the leaders of the church to, to make steps in getting this right. Um, the body of Christ is not made that way. We're all responsible for this. And um, even though parts of this mirror may never be fixed and never made whole again until we cross over, until God makes the earth new again. I just want to ask you, like, do you want E3 to look like this? Or do we want to take the steps, whatever small, tiny little steps that we can take individually to make this place shine a little more? I'd like us all to stand up. Um, I just want to close with this thought. Isaiah 58 again. 
God says that if you choose to do these things, if you choose to share your food, to cease spreading rumors, then your light will shine. There's that word. Your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as what? Day. The Lord will guide you continually, watering your life when you are dry and keeping you healthy too. Paul writes in this chapter that against foolish talk, against coarse language and all this stuff, we should replace all that with thankfulness. So we're going to close our time just spending some moments being thankful to God. So I would just ask you guys now, um, in light of God's grace, in light of God's mercy, in light of the life he's calling us to, let's lift our voices and choose to shine for God this morning. Amen.